regulation of overspending the money, Britain. And yet you dumb bitches eating right off these bleaches. Pulling trashes, they are sucking dicks and believing the bullshit fed against you. Welcome in and welcome to the Legacy Right. I am the legacy of Jennifer Ent Kaiser, Zachary Kaiser, Buckeye Zach is Andrew Joseph over here with uh, Contend. He uh, wants to refer to my Buckeye name. So, but we got a good show today and uh, we're going to jump right into it. We're going to figure out some things and you know what? Uh, there's always there's always an element of uh, discussing about society and culture and everything, uh, everything about it, the ills, the positives, the negatives, the pros, the cons. But uh, before that, let me jump into the plug, the advertisement, fanghornforesters.com. My cousin, he has a business, millwork, knickknacks, woodworking. Just go to fanghornforesters.com. Yes, that's Fanghorn from the Ents of Lord of the Rings. We are Ents, uh, hence Fanghorn Foresters. So fanghornforesters.com, check it out. See what he has the lowdown on. All of his contact information is right there. If you explore and decide you want to give him a, a hit up, whether it's an email or on the or on the the old mobile device. But uh, with that, let's get into the show. And uh, again, Andrew Joseph, how are you doing? Today? Hey, how are you? Not too bad. How you doing, Jack? I'm doing all right. So we got a. Another guest, we're on the exploratory circuit of bringing on guest speakers and letting them tell their perspective on their element of society and politics or lack thereof because gross politics, economics, social contracts, especially the, the one that me and Andrew so much have a disdain for, but we're Spinnerians. So, and I think everybody should know what that is, right, Andrew? So, yeah. She goes by classical liberal unicorn on Twitter, and uh, you can, if you want to follow her at Twitter, you can search that on the bar and uh, give her a follow and uh, join her uh, following and, and get her perspective because it's uh, whether you agree or not, it's 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 all in fun. So, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. How are y'all? Doing good. We're doing well. So, so with that, uh, to jump ship into it, let's just go directly into it, right? So, I said, like, me and Andrew are very Spoonerian. We're very uh, anarchist in our own ways, and the deliberate, uh, we call it entrapment of, of this country after the revolution um, where the counter reactionaries, the count, the, the 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 revolutionaries of of the mercantilist old world order of say Alexander Hamilton and Robert Morris, Governor Morris, who wanted to bring about the the necessity towards the land speculators, and they utilized the the idea of this constitution as a contract to centralize a government to to expand power. So, but. We're we're very Spoonerian because Lysander Spooner dissects it, especially specifically in, in his essays, No Treason, of what the Constitution's really about and and, and uh, the the faults of it. So my first question to go directly into it is, 
what is what is your thoughts on the United States Constitution? And then on top of that, what is your thoughts on on the Constitutional Convention? Let's go history on this. I love history, and I want to hear your perspective. And then what are your thoughts on Lysander Spooner as well, if you've heard of him or or um, or if not, I mean, I'll have Andrew jump in and give a little de- defined explanation. So, well, I definitely like to hear Alexander explain Ly- Lysander Spooner. I actually have not heard of him. Um, but my thoughts on the Constitution are that this is literally a document that's designed to limit the government. Um, it tells it what it can and cannot do. And um, the Bill of Rights is to protect citizens. This is literally 10 items that limit the government, originally 10 items that limit the government, um, you know, for being able to deny citizens their natural rights. Um, certainly, it's got flaws. I mean, it was definitely a political experiment. There's lots of things that could be changed, and the founders did give us the ability to change those things that we all agree on um, through the amendment process. And then, um, you know, there's lots of things, like I said, that we could we could fix about it. But at the time, it was absolutely revolutionary. This moved us from a world of monarch societies to a world of... Can you uh, repeat that last part? It it broke up. It cut out on us. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, So the Constitution was revolutionary at at the time it was created. And it literally moved us from a world filled with monarchs, filled with with societies ruled by kings, to societies ruled by people. And that's the one thing I think a lot of people are missing in the Constitution. Yeah, it's definitely got flaws. It was the first of its kind. What what if I said that the... That if you were going to go off contract, another revolutionary ideal was what or idea or an ideal actually, for that matter, was the Articles of Confederation. And through its flaws, that was the initial segment of supposedly of why the convention was called was to try to fix it. And inevitably, at least from my perspective, and I know I th- I think from Andrew's perspective through exploring history and and reading more in depth on this. And being in depth to, to Spooner as well, we we look at the convention as more of a hijacking. The route you had the revolution. You, I mean, it, it freed freed everybody from the confines of, of British rule, but but then everything was going back to normal. And like localism was very big on the articles because you didn't have a national government that really could infringe upon anything, and because nobody cared. And of course, I mean, I guess it makes it a little easier with it being the, the 18th century rather than the 21st century and transportation and 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 uh, and information highways were not as ex- extreme as they are now, not as fast paced. But I mean, but I mean, so I, I look at it as, as, a, as a means of of trying to figure out ways of centralizing trying to figure out ways of a federal government, uh, a national government, a a large-scale general government to uh, be able to use the, well, the use the issue that we went to, we we succeeded from Great Britain to begin with, taxation. I mean, so um, what is, what is your thoughts on that element? Um, The element of moving from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution. Um, 
I think the biggest issue with the Articles of Confederation, honestly, was that it didn't allow the federal government any real revenue to be able to pay back the Revolutionary War debts, um, which we mainly owed to France. Mm. And states were supposed to voluntarily um, provide funds to the federal government, and then they just refused to do so. I mean, you know, in the great scheme of politicians refusing to pay for the things they agreed to pay for. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think that was really the trigger point that caused us to move Confederation to the Constitution. Yeah. I mean, did it definitely provide federal politicians a lot more power? Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that probably there was definitely a more localized um, political movement in the states and also in local governments back in the late 18th century. Um, but the other issue is that also our local and our federal government, our state governments have changed. Um, so I live in Texas, where mm -hmm. the state government is actually removing power from local governments, not just um, ones that lean Democrat, but also ones that lean Republican. Mm -hmm. They're removing the right of prosecutors to choose, uh, pick and choose which, um, you know, cases they're going to prosecute. They're removing school boards from local school districts and replacing them with appointed school boards. Um, They've removed, uh, for Harris County in Texas is the most populous um, county in the state. Mm -hmm. And they actually removed their local election board and appointed people. Their elected election board. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so I think that tyranny at a state level is just as big as an issue as tyranny at a federal level. No, I, I agree. I agree. I think the best point, um, the best point of the matter is get as local as you possibly can. <laughs> I mean, because when it all comes down to a community, uh, the communities that you're a part of, that's where you want to be able to, that's where you can be more voluntary. That's where you can be more cooperative. That's where you can actually build relationships. And uh, so, yeah, we got to get as local as we can. But yeah, no, I agree. Like the state level can be just as tyrannical as, as the federal level. So. Yes. And, you know, from the perspective I live, in a, in a county that's, I guess you would call it very purple. <laughs> and yeah. I would definitely say a lot of my neighbors are libertarian leaning and we have both Democrat and Republican um, representatives from this mm. area. And, you know, even with local control, there needs to be, you know, a contract that says what people can and cannot vote on. I mean, your mm -hmm. natural rights are not subject to the vote of other people. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed, actually. And that gets that goes down to like Lysander Spooner. And now we'll we'll go we'll go a little bit on on Spooner on that is that's what, that's one thing that he talks about. And he talks about the idea of, of being against voting because of that, because voting essentially is a another form of aggression, passively, of course, yeah. um, for which over over aggression. It's yeah. Over form of pollution, polluting exactly. ideas and the. Uh, people's perspective gets mixed up and so you know constitution centralized it so that everyone was going down the same path while meanwhile the articles and federation diverted paths and people you know were building projects of their own so that in order to have their society as they deemed fit they had that independence it may have been more expensive in the short term but the liberties would have been more profitable in the long term as compared to now where they 
the expenses for uh, with Constitution, the expenses are short are are shorter in the long in, in the. I'm sorry. As compared with the Constitution right now, the liberties are shorter now, but the expenses are more destructive in the long term. Well, um, I would argue the Constitution I prefer over the Articles of Confederation because of the Bill of Rights. Like, if you want to get to this point where you're axing the government and getting down to a anarchist society, I mean, the Bill of Rights is the thing you want to ax last. <laughs> Not first. Um, and I don't see that there would be any difference in Texas, really, with the Articles of Confederation versus the Constitution. Um, we would have had a lot less taxes, certainly, but, you know, considering they keep reelecting our Republican governor here in Texas and our property taxes, we don't have income taxes. So our property mm -hmm. taxes are what support the, the local governments. Um, and then sales tax supports the local governments and the state. Mm -hmm. But our property taxes have risen 47 percent in the nine years that he's been governor. Um, our sales tax hasn't risen. I'm, I'm kind of if you're going to have taxes, it should be a sales tax type of person because you know if you can't afford to buy something you don't <laughs> mm -hmm. and you can choose to pay the tax or not mm -hmm. you know that's interesting that you say that like texas with them because my my dad actually um just moved down to tennessee with his new wife and tennessee doesn't have a state income tax but you say you, you're talking about sales and I, coming from the frame of texas because yeah texas they do it all with property Tennessee, they do it all with sales. So their their sales tax is like 10, 11, 12 percent or something like that. Some shit. Yeah. Like 9.5. Yeah, 9.5, as, as Andrew would say, because he was a Tennessee native for a lot of years. But, yeah, so that's how they do it. Like, I mean, yeah, cool. They, I mean, they don't, they're not taxing you on your income. Great. But then they they decide to tax you on on the serfdom fees, like, oh, well, you want to own property? Well, you're going to owe us even more money on your pro on your property. It's like, okay. Definitely. And for example, like a homesteaded property, which is the property that you own and live on, you can have up to 10 acres in a homestead in Texas. Mm. And, um, but I live and work on a commercial property that I own. Now, they only made me put some of it into the business. Um, but there is no stipulation or regulation on how much they can increase the value of that property every year. So last mm -hmm. year it was valued at $6,400 oh, and this year it's valued at $64,000. Um, you know, and so, you know, and I should have gone and fought it more, but mm -hmm. I mean, how do I do that? I have to go and find someone else who owns a business that, you know, is out in the country Mm -hmm. And also lives on property and, and has a similar, you know, setup to what we have. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, figure it out by square footage or, you know, square acreage or whatever mm -hmm. to have a price comparison. And running a business, I didn't have time to drive around, you know, my county, checking out other businesses, yeah. looking up their, you know, tax evaluations. Not that they've listed those publicly this year yet anyway. Mm -hmm. So the period with which I could, uh, could fight it has passed. And they haven't actually posted any of these proposed property values. So. Yeah, no, that's that's a shame because, like, whenever you want to something like that, I mean, you want to get as much information as, as you possibly can. But then, 
Yeah, like you said, you got to go drive around your whole county for the most part and go to different records, uh, I mean, departments. And and then, I mean, because you can't always just sit down and find it on the Internet. I mean, a lot of things you can yeah. now, but, I mean, it's harder. And you got to run a, your own business. You got your own family and you, everything going down. Like, you, you can't really, you can't do too many things. So, yeah, and definitely. It's, it, I also homeschool my kids. Um, full-time as well. So, uh, you know, well, both of my kids are dyslexic. And so I, you know, they had gotten behind in reading because I was having trouble getting the public school to do the intervention that they needed, Mm -hmm. um, to get them caught up in reading. And, uh, and then COVID happened and they shut all the schools down. And in the fall, my child was still behind in reading Mm -hmm. and I, didn't have a clear plan from the school district how they were going to address that. And I used to be a public school teacher. I was a reading specialist. And mm-hmm. so I pulled them out and, and did it myself. And since we don't have the typical Monday through Friday, nine to five, the regular school district schedule didn't really work for us that well anyway. Mm-hmm. So I pulled them out and started homeschooling them and it's gone great. They're starting a new online school next week. And i um, very excited about that, but I mean, that's where the vast majority of my property taxes go is to my mm-hmm. local school district, whom I'm not even. Yeah, that's a shame, too, because like when you look at the property, that's that's exactly where it goes to. It goes to the school boards, but they mm-hmm. have such a large monopoly on on education. I mean, that you kind of you're if you don't want to if you want to choose to not put your kids in those public schools you're still paying for those public schools like Mm -hmm. where's you know where's the middle ground (laughs) yeah and i don't want to deny anyone else's children's school i don't have a problem Mm -hmm. you know um paying towards the ultimate goal of having an educated society and i don't feel like our school district is squandering the funds necessarily i mean we don't have fancy school buildings or big fancy sport complexes Um, but, you know, they do a lot of strange things as far as districting goes, um, and which schools kids are zoned to, and they definitely have a rich kid's school and a poor kid's school for the elementary and junior high level, and then everyone gets lumped together at high school. And Mm -hmm. I find that to be rather suspicious. Mm -hmm. So in Texas, they do do a decent job of school of choice. So... While they don't offer any support to homeschooling parents, there is a lot of um, charter schools within the public school system, um, both within the districts and outside of the districts. So, you know, I definitely support that. Mm-hmm. And that goes to, and I think, Andrew, you want to ask this, that goes to the, the element of the social contract. So, Andrew, do you have something to fill in the, I'm just kind of curious uh, in, in perspective, with this perspective, if you're educated, the education needs of your children, would you think it would benefit them to go to a different environment with less regulations and things that you had to prop up? Or do you think that it would be a detriment to them? Um, I think that the school of choice would work better for my children if there was more choice locally. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm, frankly, I'm one of those people that every time Florida has been banned a book at the elementary school level, I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to go buy that for my kids because, you know, having, 
uh, controversial or unusual topics, first of all, get them interested in reading. And secondly, um, you know, I don't, I don't know um, how my children, you know, uh, feel as far as sexual orientation goes or their attraction to, you know, a specific gender. I mean, they're still kind of young for that. I have a yeah. eight-year-old and an 11-year-old. Um, but it's an idea that I don't want to be foreign to them because I want them to be able to grow up to be who they are, you know, as long as they're not hurting mm -hmm. other people. Um, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, like, that was one thing. They banned the uh, graphic novel of Anne Frank um, in the Florida school districts. Yeah. And it's literally just a graphic novel of her actual diary and one of the sections has her walking through this um kind of pathway lined with trees and statues of greek goddesses that are you know they're naked females but they don't really have any detail mm -hmm. like there's no, there's no yeah there's yeah. no end there um but she does say she often wondered what it would be like to be kissed by a girl because um that was what Anne Frank actually wrote in her diary. So even back in the 1940s, 1930s, 1940s, you know, kids were still wondering, am I, you know, what is my sexual orientation? That doesn't mean yeah. she was going to grow up to be gay. It just means that she was wondering. Everyone wonders that. It's a normal process of growing up. Mm -hmm. It is. And it is. And it, the fact that they're using this, <laughs> I mean, as a concept of control. So, I mean, whether it's mm -hmm. Florida or well, I mean, who is against it? I mean, or New York or California, I mean, on the, that are using it to kind of gravitate towards more control. I mean, it's just all, it's all control. I mean, who cares? Like, it, I mean, there's certain times when you probably should say, hey, uh, maybe this needs to probably be discussed more with the parents. Give the parents more leeway. Families need to be families, but then it also comes to a point where it's culture and societal and you're going to end up experiencing it anyways. So, mm -hmm. I mean, kids are going to see it. I mean, just. Yeah, I mean, kids don't magically wake up and decide that they're sexual creatures at 18. They need to be prepared for these things. And one of the reasons why trans people have such a high suicide rate is literally because there is no validation in society for them so mm -hmm. it's this internal concept of i'm weird and i don't belong mm -hmm. and you know so they need to have places they can look to to understand that what they're feeling isn't entirely abnormal you know it's it mm -hmm. is it happens to other people in society so yeah. i mean that's essentially what books are for they're not harming anyone they just present ideas exactly and it could be it could be a, a book about i don't know it could be mind comp for all we know. I mean, somebody could read Hitler's book. Most people are going to look at it and be like, oh, um, yeah, let's uh, expand something a little bit better off of this nonsense. You know, my, my brother is an avid reader, <laughs> and he um, he read mind comp. I mean, he really hates Hitler. He's also very libertarian-leaning like myself, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and he would definitely, like, I would, I would, pin myself as being center. I know with the current um, inter-party politics, I'm probably pushed off to the far left, but mm -hmm. he's even farther right than I am. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but he read it because he said, these are the things you have to know to understand society and why we are where we are today. Mm -hmm. 
So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, read Das Capital as well, or the Communist Manifesto. I mean, really, like these are, you know, don't just stick with your centerfold ideas. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like with the trans movement and the LGBT. I mean, don't just centerfold onto one concept of what is traditional. I mean, we got to be open minded. We got to understand that there's differences in society. We live in a society. I mean, cultures manifest in different ways. So, I mean, you don't, you got to be accepting. You don't have to be involved in it, but you know I mean, but at least be cordial with it. I mean, don't, yeah. I you mean, that's not a respectful. I mean, that is mm-hmm. at the heart of a classical liberal or a libertarian society. I mean, you have to be respectful of other people's lifestyles and, and beliefs. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't believe in transgenderism, then teach that to your kids. I don't know how well to work out, but mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you teach your own values to your children. That is your power as a parent. Mm-hmm. And that should be protected. If you want to send your kids to a Christian school or a Muslim school or a Jewish school, I don't really have a problem, you know, with that. Uh, even mm-hmm. if using public money to do that, you just can't force kids to go to those schools or present those ideas to kids that don't, whose parents don't want those ideas presented to them. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the idea. Um, you know, but teaching, you know, like in a public school, um, teaching, teaching the idea or the concept of LGBTQ or of Christianity, of, you know, all these things, being Muslim, people need to understand the, um, the historical basis for different religions. And they need to understand not just the historical basis, but kind of the emotional and intellectual basis for LGBTQ rights, women's rights you know, even really rights of kids. And, um, what about, mean, uh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, okay. Talk, what about, uh, uh, these ideas, if, say you, you develop a roadmap for these ideas and they continue progress and there's different generations that implement them. What happens if there's a consequence like second or third generation and you're like seventh or eighth generation and they, how do they fix something like that? So are you thinking that like seven or eight generations down, most people will be trained? Down like the, the social, like the, this is the, the cultural zeitgeist. So like we have this idea and we're going to try to implement it on a nationwide scale. And then two or three generations where this consequence that they didn't have foresight on. Mm-hmm. How do you fix something like that without guaranteeing those rights? I have really hard, uh, I have a really hard time believing that you know the vast majority of the population wants to go through hormonal therapy and you know cut off their body parts and and change their gender on a whim. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, this literally affects like one tenth of one percent of the entire country. Um, and I don't see that it's going to grow a tremendous amount, maybe to 1% of the entire country. I mean, you know, even, even the uh, gay and lesbian population of the country is only about 2%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, whereas all of these people were forced into a closet, you know, back in the 60s until the Stonewall riots. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, historic historically, I mean, it's not like this isn't a modern thing. I mean, there's always been homosexuality. It's just been very small, trivial, and as you just said, they've had to I mean, be in the closet. So I mean, yeah, there was always transgenderism as well. I mean, they have uh, written mm. documents by the Greeks of people that would cross dress. They just didn't have the technology to do the surgery to change their gender. Mm-hmm. No. No, and it's fascinating because it's fascinating on that element, like with like the Greeks, like um, who would one of their gods, uh, Aphrodite, I believe. Um, she's presented a lot um, as a transgendered individual, and a lot of in a lot of her imagery. So I mean, no, the Greeks kind of knew it. So I mean, the Greeks kind of had that allure of of, I guess, equality. Of course. I mean, I I would look at it as I would I would look at it as somewhat of a failure because then you get to the political aspect with the democracy of say ancient Athens and the demagoguery that expanded from it and the majority won out, but then the tyrants and the dictators came about and then definitely and um you know so I would say that the Greeks definitely had more of a system like we had at the beginning. Mm-hmm. where only the wealthy landowners got to vote. Mm-hmm. And um, we've moved past that. But democracy is always susceptible to dictatorship, to tyranny. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you don't do anything to address the grievances of the general population, I mean, that's kind of one of the situations that we're in today. Taxation, um, especially of the middle class, has expanded dramatically. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know whether, I mean, a lot of it has to do with poor regulation in a suburban and urban setting that doesn't allow for, um, to increase the density um, Mm -hmm. in these cities and these suburbs that then uh, leaves the majority of the population unable to be able to afford to purchase a home. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is kind of what happened in Europe too with a lot of protectionism on historical buildings. They couldn't make these areas more dense and then people couldn't afford to live there and they couldn't, you know, support themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of what's going on here as we run out of suburban area to develop. Um, I hope, hopefully think that online working is going to change a lot of this. Um, But we also need to work on deregulating you know, urban and suburban areas at a local level. Mm-hmm. Um, these zoning restrictions that keep people from being able to buy up a several houses in a block in downtown Houston, for example, and then build a high rise there. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about like uh, regulation that it has a set time period and it expires and they have to either renew it or create an alternative regulation? Sort of like a charter. Essentially, you know, I'm, I'm kind of against that. If you purchase property, you should be able to do with it what you want to. I mean, otherwise, you don't really own it. Well, I'm, um, I'm talking about like federal laws and stuff like that. Well, like, we I mean, had this, that with this, the Patriot this, Act, and they kept renewing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's kind of the issue. There is that what we really need to be doing is focusing on these individual liberties and why we support individual liberties and teaching our children about the importance of individual liberties and property rights, um, you know, and self-ownership because, you know, when you have a population that 
doesn't support these ideals, you're going to end up with tyrannous legislation, and it doesn't matter if it expires. If you know, it just continuously be is being renewed. Yeah, that's so like law from fifty years ago that should still be on the books, even though it had no contextual application in modern day and time. Mm-hmm. So, like the Comstock law, that mm-hmm. probably would have benefited from an expiration date, but. Um, you know, Congress never bothered to repeal it, probably because they didn't have the votes mm-hmm. to do so. So, I mean, you know, we've come a long way from the 1950s, where I think society as a whole was definitely, um, well, sexual sexuality was taboo, definitely. And so it wasn't yeah. discussed. And, um, you know, while people want birth control for themselves you know they don't have to say that publicly and I think we still have a lot of that in society it takes several generations for that kind of ideal to die out mm-hmm. so. and speaking of getting on the, on the topic of like sexuality what 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 do you what do you think what what is what is your I don't know how to word this, but what is what what is your general sense of of uh, the deregulated sex sexual uh, innuendo and and marketplace essentially of today with porn and Tinder and just all that? Like, what what has that done for society in our in our today's world? I mean, um, what has it done for society? Yes. I don't really feel like it's changed society at all. If people didn't want those things, they wouldn't purchase them. They wouldn't be available. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are saying that Tinder's to blame for the terrible dating landscape. But I was, you know, 20, um, 20 years ago, and the dating landscape was terrible then. I think mm. um, <laughs> it's just it's as terrible kinda, now. <laughs> it's just kind of put it in the open, right? So. <laughs> yeah, it's just put it in the open, like... Um, you know, uh, I guess there were an awful lot of awkward conversations with people that just, you know, like we go on a date and they'd assume it was a booty call. And I'm like, mm, no. Mm. Uh, so, you know, actually I went to my high school reunion. Uh, God, it's been a while now. But it was my 10-year high school reunion. And a guy that I was friends with in high school, he was part of my friend's group. Um, he had just broken up with his girlfriend. He was really broken up about it. And I had broken up with a boyfriend. I don't think it was all that broken up about it, but, um, you know, it was still affecting me. And I was like, well, why don't we just get together and hang out? You know, he liked live music. I liked live music. I was like, we can go to some concerts together, you know, it'll be fun. So he's like, yeah, great. Yeah. So he gave me his phone number and a couple of weeks later I called him. I was like, Hey, there's this concert I want to go to Friday. You want to go with me? And he was like, is this a booty call? And I was like, no. What's wrong with you? And, um, and you know, I mean, I ended up not ever contacting him again. So I kind of lost one of my oldest high school friends over that situation where Tinder would have been a lot easier for him to use. <laughs> Wouldn't have had to make that awkward. <laughs> he could have just he swiped right and moved yeah. on and got his booty call, right? I'm That's gonna... right. And not have, yeah. not have had to harass his high school friends. Yeah. So, and, and so, I mean, there's some positives and some negatives on one end. I mean, it's kind of taken away that socialization, I guess. But then again, 
I mean, some people are just awkward socially anyway, so mm -hmm. maybe, maybe it has hidden a little bit, but then at the same time, maybe it has done a little bit of harm, so I don't know. And I think that's definitely a self-esteem issue. Like, mm -hmm. girls that are getting on Tinder and, and right swiping people to have a booty call with, then, mm -hmm. I mean, I hate to be, you cannot feel used when you are literally there looking for sex. If you're mm -hmm. not there looking for sex, then don't be there. Go look someplace else for a relationship. You know, mm -hmm. there's e-harmony. There's, I don't know, plenty of fish. There's lots of things that you can it's look for for a relationship. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, that's the thing. You know, you have to be clear about what your intentions are when you go mm -hmm. on Twitter. Not to mm -hmm. get a boyfriend. <laughs> that's not what Twitter's for. Or not, not mm -hmm. Twitter. That's not what Tinder's for. Mm-hmm. Twitter, Tinder, they all kind of run together anymore, right? So, well, yeah. not anymore, because they got X. Now they're X. Yeah. Now it's X, yeah. Now. <laughs> now you can see that you have separate your phone, you don't have to worry about it. So. <laughs> well, I'm married, so I've been married for 14 yeah. years. Yeah, so I, I don't have, I never, I was married before Tinder came along. Well, congratulations, 14 years, so. Thank you. Thank you. To, to I, 14 more and 14 more after that. And I know, I got, I got really lucky. I got a great guy, so. <laughs> so. Uh, you have a question, Andrew? Uh, no, I'm good for right now. You want to explain Lysander Spinner then? We'll transition to the Spinner. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's fine. So uh, his... He was an individualist anarchist, and his premise was that the Constitution is a contract that was written, just kind of basically verbatim, that it was written 80 years ago by people who are all dead, and, you know, it focuses the original intent of, the, of their perspective on these negative rights and how they can be applied in today's day and age and how poorly... The, the current government and future governments implement that, that perspective and how they regulate the, the state. And then jumping on to, um, he also wrote, had another essay um, entitled Vices Are Not Crimes as well, um, meaning that an individual with their negative rights, their natural rights, what the Bill of Rights um, is supposed to protect. Um, you have the right to find your own happiness, even if it's viciousness against yourself. So in today's day and age, a lot of that is drugs, alcohol. Um, but you also have prostitution, speaking of the tender, so sex, um, et cetera, et cetera. But anything that's condemned as a vice um, and because of our, Af our very, very Puritan culture, even though we have nothing to do with the Puritans, I mean, it, it condemns all this and it, it because the moral police has to be the they have to be top dog on everything. So one thing that Lysander Spooner uh, eloquently speaks on is the fact that there is no there's no crime. As long as you're not harming anybody else, there's no crime. So if if you're being vicious to yourself, if you're doing harm to yourself, yeah, it sucks. Maybe you should get some help if you want help. And if you do, then get help. But you're you're more than willing to go do harm to yourself. 
And so, like, staying on to the, the track of, of Tinder and the de deregulated sexualized marketplace and, and all that, I mean, if you're doing something that you probably shouldn't be doing, if it's, if it's not helping your self-esteem, but yet you're still doing it, I mean, so be it. I mean, you can always ask for help to try to, to figure out a different yeah. solution. So counterbalance it moderation i mean it's all right go out have a booty call great i mean some people are not built to have a family they don't win they're not built for that structure but you can always moderate it when it comes you know use tinder for what it is maybe maybe down the road you do find your your future wife or if you're a woman future husband or if you're gay there you go <laughs> i mean because we, we we're accepting here so but I mean, and it goes with drugs. That's why um, I, I'm as much as like I'm a 13 year recovering drug addict. I don't believe in addiction as as a as any type of medical disease. I think it's all choice, um, and you can come off of it. You just have to be, you have to work at it, and you got to be really, really hell bent on staying on that right path. But I mean, you look. I mean drugs i mean it is what it is people make choices people do bad things yes that doesn't have an effect on your mind on your mental uh and cognitive capabilities oh yeah is there a chemical a chemical reaction within your brain yes is there an addiction as a, as being a disease no <laughs> because it all comes down to choice so and people can disagree to agree on that one i mean everybody has their own perspective so you know some people definitely get addicted. Uh, other people don't. But the government's not your mommy. You know, these decisions mm -hmm. should be yours to make. You are welcome to do what you want with your own body. Mm -hmm. And it goes to the, it goes back to that, uh, that abortion issue um, with Roe v. Wade or, and then with, with the chatter that ended up claiming about COVID and the vaccine. And yes. I mean, so, I mean, and speaking of that, uh, let me lead into a question like that. What is uh, what is your perspective on everything that came about within the last year with Roe v. Wade being overturned, which it wasn't, obviously, it was just sent back to the states, and then the COVID vaccines and the right and the left's bickering over bullshit. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, here, here the right and the left are both wrong. I mean, mm -hmm. bodily autonomy, a.k.a. liberty. If mm -hmm. you do not have ownership over your own body, you don't have ownership over anything. Mm -hmm. um, it is your body and what risks you're willing to take should be your decision and yours alone. Mm -hmm. um, nobody wants to see babies die or unborn babies, like fetuses, die. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact remains that there isn't a single human on earth that has the right to use another body, another person's body against their will. Um, and that is why I support choice there. I also support choice in vaccines. If you do not want to get a vaccine, you shouldn't have to. Mm -hmm. um, having, you know, come from a um, background, like a scientific perspective, my best friend's a doctor. Um, I have multiple family members that work in um, microbiology and actually worked with the virus and the vaccine um, during COVID. I think vaccines are effective. Um, the COVID vaccine seems to be struggling from the same issues the flu vaccine 
struggles with because COVID rapidly mutates. Mm-hmm. Um, I think vaccines are effective. I think they work. I got mine. But if someone else doesn't want to get theirs, that is their business and not mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's the same thing that goes along with, with you know, the abortion issue. It's my body and not theirs. Mm-hmm. So they should be able to make that choice for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another the, the, the other issue with, with, like, abortion is then you get into the much deeper and darker aspect, which is rape and incest. And then, then you get the, then you get the more bickering because now, well, the right is for abuse and the left, yeah, but the left is still for killing babies. It's like, mm-hmm. honestly, political aside, um, right. Um, you vote politicians in that they say they're against murder of babies but then they're going to send those kids when they're 17 18 years old overseas to iraq or afghanistan or wherever wherever the fuck they're gonna they they want to go to war right at next for oil my or, father was a vietnam <laughs> veteran and he was yeah. drafted and sent to vietnam when he was 19 mm-hmm. and he had kind of a mischievous side to him uh and every time he was doing something that probably wasn't right he'd say what are they gonna do draft me and send me to nam and I think I was 19 before I realized they already had. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's another thing. The draft needs to go. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a, an enormous violation of human rights. And if the war is justified, um, people will go and fight it. And you don't no, have to yeah. force them to do it. Yeah, no, I got a, I got a story in that because my, my great-great, or not my great-great-grandfather, well, my great-great-grandfather, left Georgia and enlisted in the army of Ohio. So, I mean, cause he was an anti-successionist. Um, but, uh, my great grandfather actually enlisted twice in the United States army, both underage cause it was 17 at the time he was 14. They caught him, kicked him out. Then he came back and relisted again, 16 a year under, I think it was 17 at the time. Now it's technically still 17. They just can't, send you to combat um they can train you and then 18 you can go to combat but yeah 16 he re-enlisted again they didn't catch him at this time but uh by that point we were getting into world war one never i don't think he ever he didn't make it to europe though because by the time he was done with all training the war had ended so or the 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 armistice was put in place the war technically didn't end but but yeah, I mean, yeah, if it's justified to the perspective of a culture and of a society, you're exactly right. Like people are gonna fight. Look at World War Two. I mean, Look at the Texas Revolution. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. uh, probably fifty oh. percent of the people that volunteered for that died. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, but they they volunteered to do that. I mean, the people that stayed at the Alamo, they knew they were going to die. Mm-hmm. Um when reinforcements didn't come, you know, mm-hmm. and they fought to the death because it was that important to them. And, and those are the wars that you fight, you yeah. know, the ones that people volunteer for the people are fighting for themselves. You don't draft people and send them to Iraq or Vietnam. You know, we had no business being in Vietnam. I mean, that was a country having a civil war. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. We didn't like the government style that they picked and it was tragic. And we should have let the people that wanted to flee that government system come here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't even know how at any point we were able to justify Iraq, but somehow half the country managed to justify that to themselves. Um, 
weapons and lands. That lovingly, thank you, all of our Iraq War veterans. My brother's an Iraq War veteran. I'm very proud of his sacrifice. But even he said, we don't have any business being here. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and the, and what's what's also the shame is like I know a kid that went to went to Afghanistan. He had a mental breakdown. He had some mental health issues. I believe he's he's in prison right now for a double homicide, murdered two Taliban prisoners that they were on that were under lockdown on his base. Um, mm-hmm. The army um, they missed out. They didn't know. They didn't look. I mean, there were several occasions that he he went to uh, his commanding officer um, for mental health uh, issues. There was no real evaluation. Next thing you know, two prisoners. Two prisoners of war, two enemy combatants end up dead in in a in a, a base prison barracks, and he's in prison for the rest of his life. That was back in like 2010, so he's he's in his 30s now. So he was 20 years old when that happened, and he's in prison for the rest of his life because yeah. they had to show they had to they had to to prove something, I guess. But mm-hmm. it was obviously a mental health issue, and they ignored it. Definitely. I mean, that's um, that's another issue. I mean, the army is not very good about treating mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, it flat out isn't even if they had the resources they really needed. I I don't know that they have the culture um, that's required to really look at those things seriously and and do something about them. Um, you know, I mean, that's part of our societal aspect that we need to break down is this barrier towards getting mental health. I mean, if your heart stops working you go to the doctor and you get it fixed. If your brain dysfunctions, mm-hmm. we just act like that's a personal problem and not uh, something that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when you, even, even people that were willingly went off to war, like my brother wasn't drafted. He signed up and went, it still affects you emotionally. Um, having to take someone else's life and, mm-hmm. You know, those are things that really need to be taken seriously when these guys get out of these war zones. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, PTSD is real. I I don't know how to stress that enough. Um, You know, and I think that really having, like, between Kennedy and Reagan, so between the 60s and 80s, we had a terrible mental health system, which consisted of state-run institutions where people would be put without any ability to, like, appeal their placements um, and they would be stuck there for life and there weren't the resources to take care of them. But so between Kennedy and Reagan, the system was completely dismantled and it was replaced with nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not necessarily that I think the government needs to step in and do something about it, but we need as a society need to take it seriously as a people and do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, probably some of it is the regulation of, people that provide mental health care um, and the training that's required and, and how expensive it is for them to pay back that, you know, education. Um, so there aren't nearly enough of them, for one. Um, I think you have to have a master's degree to be a licensed therapist. Uh, and I do believe that maybe 20 years ago, you could get licensed therapists that had uh, associate's degrees, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Follow the money, <laughs> I guess. That's mm-hmm. really what it is. It's it's, well, they're, it's money. They're paid salesmen. Mm-hmm. So. And it really is a, a pharmaceutical uh, industrial complex because I mean, you take them out, you you fix 
fix the system by removing the state-run agencies and hospitals and try to eradicate that, but then you replace it with nothing. Well, what is the, what is the void? Well, the void is let's just manufacture all these drugs. Um, and, but let's then subsidize these drugs and these drug manufacturers. So now the prices are even higher. Oh, the insurance companies, let's subsidize them. So now they're even higher. And then you have people with issues that are on the street with nowhere to go. And then what happens? They turn to other avenues that are cheaper to quell their mental health issues. So now crackheads or junk heroin junkies, I mean, et cetera. And then you see crime because they have mental health issues. They're also affected by the drugs, the street drugs that God knows what they're cut with because we don't have a free market. <laughs> so there's even worse. And, uh, and then they wind up doing harm to everybody and they wind up in prison. They go to prison for years and then you, you let them out. And I mean, uh, they do their sentence, their bid and they get out and they do the same thing. Cause I mean, what is prison going to do? Make them worse. Definitely. I, I mean, oh, sorry. But I think about it as a roadmap. Like, you're born into a broken family, and that family breaks up. So you go to the public school system, and that's prison developed to keep turning people out into an adult prison. And then, you know, you're the, the part of the family that you're still part of because I'm stable, and you had to go to a foster family. My foster family doesn't want to put up with you. They just want to make the money. So they give you all these SSRI drugs in order to keep you quiet and not be able to, you know, feel the full range of your emotions. And you get out, you're 18, you don't know what you're doing. You make one mistake, you're in prison, come out, do street drugs, back to prison, and, and it's just a constant cycle mm-hmm. until somebody dies. Definitely. I mean, I think there's definitely an overuse of a lot of psychiatric drugs. Um, and, but a lot of people that have mental health care issues can really be treated by talk therapy because they just have a disrupted thought process, especially one about themselves. I mean, this is what's causing mass shootings. Um, you know, people that have a lot of negative thoughts about society or themselves as a person. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, and there's people that have schizophrenia. I mean, 60% of the homeless population is probably schizophrenic. And yeah. they really only have one way to treat that is with, with psychiatric drugs, which have improved tremendously uh, since the 1960s. But they're also very expensive, and you have to have access to medical care to be able to get them. Um, and a lot of the people that are out in the streets are self-medicating. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of our major drug issues right now really is fentanyl and that's with the oversubscription of painkillers uh, in the 1990s and early 2000s and um, the problem is that there are people out there that are truly in pain and, and have to have them mm-hmm. um, so for example my husband actually had uh, like one of those flesh eating bacterias a few years ago um, yeah. you know he went I don't know, fishing or something like that and got it. And he had to have a couple of reconstructive surgeries. And um, I think he had something like seven surgeries before he was all done with the treatment. Mm-hmm. He was in intensive care for 13 days and in the hospital for 11 more after that. Mm-hmm. And um, 
they sent him home because he had an open wound that they were going to use a skin graft to, to cover or to treat. Um, and he had to have someone come by to change, like a medical professional come by to change the, the dressings on it twice a day. And they wouldn't send him home because they were going to put him in a rehab hospital so he'd have morphine um, for pain. And uh, the rehab hospital didn't have this closet needed to change his wound. And to be frankly honest, it wasn't very clean. They didn't have blinds on his windows. And this is Texas, so in the summer. So the sun blaring in, you know, 12 Mm -hmm. hours a day. Mm -hmm. Um, The room was about 112. So we pulled him out of there. And they wouldn't give him anything besides Tylenol 3 to deal with the pain of having his wounds changed um, twice a day um, because of the fentanyl issue. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, so he just had to grin and bear it for 30 days. Wow. That's, yeah. Wow. That's that is, that's, uh, that, that's beyond rough, especially if they're only giving you Tylenol threes and you're in that much pain. And I mean, yeah. at that well, point. Having someone come there and poke your open wound twice a day for a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, then, you're, you, then you definitely, you want something. <laughs> you know, especially yeah. poked. Wow. Sounds like Texas is fun medically. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's not just Texas either. I think that fentanyl situation has created a a national Mm -hmm. lockdown on painkillers for people that really need them. They they need to come up with um, their ways of treating pain and weaning people off of pain medications, certainly. Um, You know, but we got to look to the medical professionals to make those changes mm-hmm. yeah because like medications are good but i mean you have side effects you have and yeah but a lot of it has a lot to do with very strict regulations but then mm-hmm. sidestep with large-scale corporate charters that are able to do whatever and get subsidized so and mm-hmm. then have an expanded war on drugs that has has done so much damage. I mean, creating this this world of of advanced street drugs, and then mm-hmm. then you got China and our bullshit with them, because that's where the fentanyl is coming from. And I mean, that's what happens when you outsource everything to to yeah. a country that wants to compete, but then once they've once they've competed and defeated you, now they just want to hold on to what they have, what has gotten them out of their poverty. So they're an aptitude of, of their society. So they really are an enemy, but let's not treat them as an enemy. Let's treat them as a competitor. (laughs) I actually went to China when I was in grad school and, you know, I've had a lot of people tell me that the Chinese people are different than us. They have a different culture than we do. And I highly disagree. The Chinese people are just like you and I. They want mm-hmm. to have personal, individual liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were talking, my professor grew up in China. She was actually uh, orphaned. I guess she was born in probably the 30s. And she was orphaned by like a cholera or typhoid mm-hmm. pandemic and taken in by a rich gentleman that lived in the city. So she was brought from her country home into the city and he's the one that raised her and and she was actually trained in like traditional Chinese medicine. So like in China, she'd be considered a doctor. Hmm. Um, but then she came to the U S and ended up becoming, um, uh, 
I guess it wasn't really, she was like a cultural, she had, she was a culture professor of culture. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to take her course through the education department um, and my training to be a teacher. And I went and studied in China, in China for about four weeks um, over the summer. And this is about 15 years ago. And uh, so I got to meet a lot of Chinese people. And the surprising thing, we were talking about the Tiananmen Square incident or what was really the Beijing uprising in 1989. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, essentially the people actually won that revolt because the government made changes that opened up their economy to the West. And, And I think one of the issues going on with China right now is they've grown their economy on being a country of cheap labor where there weren't any real workers protections but the Chinese people aren't willing to put up with that now. And mm-hmm. so the cost of they labor a, is rising. They have a higher and, standard uh, of living. Yes, they have a higher standard mm-hmm. of living now. And I'm not joking when I say, I actually went to a museum in Shanghai. It was called the Museum of Urban Development. And they hmm. would show you what people were living like in China um, at the beginning of the Cultural Revolution, uh, right after the communist takeover. And they were literally living in Tiananmen-style housing buildings where six families shared a kitchen and each family had its own separate bedroom. So literally, when you think of like U.S. history and they're teaching you about how immigrants lived in New York mm-hmm. during the Industrial Revolution, that is how the Chinese people were living in the 1940s up through about the 1970s, maybe even 80s. Mm-hmm. And um, so then they started building single-family apartments. And middle-class Chinese people are living more and more like us today. Um, and so, yeah, they're, and they're getting better educations. And so they're, they want a higher standard of living, just like everyone else in the world. Um, and so they're kind of losing their status as this cheap, um, this destination for cheap labor. And so they're Mm -hmm. losing contracts to Indonesia and to India and to Africa. And so I think that's one of the reasons why China is feeling aggressive right now, why they've got this new leader that's so authoritarian is Mm -hmm. they're afraid of losing their standing and they're essentially in the same position we were in in the early 2000s i was in business school um and it was my first marketing or my first management class ever and my professor was telling us oh yeah no if you guys just stick with the services you're going to be fine because um you know the globalization of the economy is not going to harm us and i thought to myself i was like that's going to lower our standard of living before mm-hmm. it raises everyone's. And so that's the transition we're in right now. Our mm-hmm. standard of living has been crunched, but it's raising everyone else's across the world. And as everyone else's becomes raised, ours will begin to rise again like theirs does. Cause it won't be cheaper to do business in any one country. Mm-hmm. You know, countries will eventually specialize as everyone becomes industrialized, but you know, people simplify things that aren't that simple. I mean, anyone who thinks we're exporting labor to China um, because of the price and importing the goods back in, that doesn't that's going to affect our standard of living, Mm-mm. you know, was not looking at the whole picture. So I think in the end, it's going to end up better for everyone. But So uh, with, with that, do you think that uh, because of that notion, do you think that we are essentially in a dark ages? I mean, kind of gravitating somewhat back up and kind of stuck in a mold because of the globalization. I, mean, I don't politics. think that we're currently in a dark ages. I think if we allow a tyrants and authoritarians to take over our governments across the world, that could lead to um, another dark age. Definitely. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Although we won't know because we're living in it. So maybe yeah. maybe in a hundred years when they're looking back, our at great grandchildren will be living in the dark age. Yeah, <laughs> either they're they're or they're living in a, a new age and they're looking back at our history and saying. And they're being taught that this was the dark age, but I mean, so we don't necessarily know. So they'll but. look back. They, yeah, if we continue to progress, I mean, and I, I know a lot of people are going to be like, "Oh, the word progress," but if we continue to build upon our ideals as a, you know, democratic republic or you know, liberal democracy, a liberal society that believes that people should rule themselves and the government shouldn't rule themselves, mm-hmm. I think they'll look back on us and be like, "Ooh, look at that dark age." Mm-hmm. Um, but if we allow tyrants and authoritarians to take over our government and governments throughout the world, they'll be looking back on us as a dark age because even that's not sustainable. It will collapse at some point, um, just mm-hmm. like it has throughout history. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look back at the world history, we go through periods where people have individual freedom, like ancient Greece mm-hmm. or even really ancient Rome, where they had a republic there. And then it collapses and it becomes a dictatorship. And then people get tired of being um, abused and they overthrow mm-hmm. the government and the whole process starts again. Mm-hmm. So. And then. And, and, oh, go ahead, Andrew. Just saying there's a shelf life. That's what you're saying. Yes, yeah. there's a there's shelf always, life. Always an expiration date. So, but then, I mean, that goes without saying, like, even with the fall of the Roman Empire, the Western half of the empire. I mean, even 200 years after, like nobody, we kind of just gave a date, like as we got into our 476, it had to have been then. That's basically the height. That's when Rome fell. That's when Rome was, fell Mm -hmm. to the Visigoths. It was either the Visigoths or the Vandals. I'm not sure. But Rome really fell when they got rid of elected representatives and Mm -hmm. they, um, they started having dictators. So, yeah. Well, I just meant like with the empire aspect and then oh, yeah, yeah. in the Middle Ages. But and but even then, like two, three hundred years, I mean, they still there was no essence that Rome was fallen. Like a lot of people in a lot of areas that were very Roman-esque, a lot of the major like hubs like Londinium or I mean, or Paris or whatever it was called back then and Gaul, like they still had a, rem- a reminiscence of Rome still. It was mostly the outskirts that were kind of like, well, we're whatever. So Rome didn't exist in the West, but at the same time, you still had elements of society, and they call that the Dark Ages. But there were still, they call it the Dark Ages because the classics of that we think of were hidden, and then we had the Enlightenment of the Renaissance, and then all of a sudden, yeah. So very Roman, romanticizing history, I guess. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, the Dark Ages definitely, um, yeah, I mean, we're spurred on by the collapse of this of the Roman Empire, which I think probably resembled the collapse of the Soviet Union, um, you know, very closely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it didn't all happen all at once. It happened slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, and really the Middle Ages, what defines the Middle Ages is this... Uh, is this period where we lacked the ability or the desire to seek knowledge. We turned into this kind of what we're going through now, this Mm -hmm. religious fundamentalism, this traditionalism. Mm -hmm. um, And we stopped uh, exploring new ideas, you know, Mm -hmm. and expanding upon them. And 
so that's the one thing you know we've got to stop this empire building because we know that destroys you know Mm -hmm. um it destroys really any type of government system um you know we have to continue to look for new ideas uh we we continue to explore new ideas we continue to have to espouse individual liberties or we'll end up back in a dark age Mm -hmm. and with that said i mean uh so when a call comes down to it, we got to learn how to agree to disagree because we got to learn from each other on an individual level. comes down to the individual and let's expand it outward into our communities, our societies, our cultures. So, I mean, that's what we need to do. We need to expand. We need to learn from each other, listen, communicate, and expand on that knowledge. So, and we won't be in another dark age we can just continuously gravitate towards evolving towards a better part of of history rather than keep on repeating it so but with that i think we've we've hit over the hour mark andrew so (laughs) yes so uh so we we should probably wrap up it was wonderful to have you on um thank you so we would definitely in the near in the future we would definitely want to bring you back there i mean this was enlightening so and it's i mean it's great to have another perspective so um andrew will you have anything else to add or any question last minute questions or um i just want to found on something i was talking about earlier i was talking about like second generation third generation and we was talking about the situation with drugs and stuff like that you know how they made marijuana illegal because of the personal biases of people at the top of top of the state. You know, had you can see the consequences of that in today's day and time. Now, that might have been diverted if marijuana was legal, instead of people projecting their bias through the legal system. So that's just the one thing I wanted to comment on. Well, it was a pleasure to be here, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you again. Thank so, you for joining us. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, uh, it was, it was all inspiring. And uh, but with that, we will wrap this up. I am the legacy of Jennifer Ant Kaiser. I am Zachary Kaiser, Buckeye Zach, as Andrew again would contend that I be called. Um, and this is. He missed the cue right. <laughs> <laughs> he missed the cue again. So I know. say that again, Andrew. I'm the legacy right. So <laughs> the legacy right. But this is the legacy right. I am Zach. He is Andrew. Uh thank you again. Uh classical liberal unicorn over on Twitter and uh and Liberty Corn down here in, in our recording. Of course, when you all see it, you won't see it. My anything. handle is Liberty Corn. So, so <laughs> but the handle, Liberty Liberty Corn is the is the handle if you wanna if you wanna follow. So um or you can just do the easy way and just type in on the search bar. That's what I do. You'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> so but uh but um we'll go ahead and wrap this up and uh before I get into a tangent, so uh, everybody have a wonderful, wonderful day, wonderful weekend from this point of us recording, and uh, we will see you when we release this episode, and see you next time.
Yet at the same time, it's all poop. Ignore the fact of the central plan and regulation of overspending the money, Britain. And yet you dumb bitches eating right off these bleaches. Pulling trashes down, sucking dicks and believing the bullshit fed against you. The media lies, the government spreads, the benefits are mute. The market is crashed, the jobs are gone. And the fee on this shit increased deficits, yet the spending's in finance. Meanwhile, your check to check, but it's okay. The politician will fix it. Fuck you deserve this shit. While I divorce from society and escape real quick. Work on the inside of what's restricted. Countering with economics and bracing. The real market ignoring politics and realizing society is fucked. So I forget. Pick and choose whom I associate with Conducting business on a voluntary basis And living happily tucked away from all this shit I'll choose the life of an average